Good morning, church. We're going to open up and pray quickly before you take your seats. Lord Jesus, we love you so much. And we thank you that you were here, that your presence is in this place. And there's nothing that we want more than to hear from you. So won't you speak to us? I pray for a double portion of your anointing. I pray for a spirit of wisdom and revelation. I pray that I will get out of the way and you will do what you want to do. In Jesus' precious, mighty name and all of God's people said, Amen. You guys can take your seats. So we are talking about mental health this morning, and it's quite a a serious topic, but a very, very important topic, and something that I think is not spoken about enough um, in church, even in society. And I'm going to take you guys on a bit of a journey, um, but... I have to apologize in advance. You know, all my stats are from 2019, 2020, because you guys all know what happened in 2020, COVID, um, and that kind of took the WHO's focus off mental health stats, and, and all the, all the, all the um, resources have, were focused on vaccines and immunizations, and so the crazy thing is we don't really have any new stats. But in 2019, the World Health Organization put out the stats that depression was the third biggest cause of morbidity and mortality globally. Okay, so they were saying around the world, the third biggest cause of a person Um, falling ill and dying, okay, was depression. That was 2019. They then predicted that by 2020, it would move to the second biggest cause, and they predicted by 2030, it would be the leading cause, okay, of all morbidity and mortality. Like I said, COVID hit, the world was turned upside down, nobody's had time to run around doing more stats. We've been trying to save lives and get people um, vaccinated and safe. And, but I think if there's one thing we could all agree on is that COVID didn't really do any good to, for anyone's mental health. Would you guys agree? Okay, being isolated, um, you know, the financial loss, the pressure. I think if anything, the stats would be a lot worse right now than we ever anticipated. We didn't anticipate COVID when we put these stats together. So I want you guys to keep that in mind. But from the, the stats in 2019, they said that one out of every four person in the entire world was suffering from a mental health condition. Okay, that was 219. So if you're sitting in a row of eight people, there's probably two people statistically that would have a mental health problem. Don't point right now. It's a joke. I always say everyone's normal until you get to know them. Hey, we're all the crazy. I was joking. But no, it's a crazy stat. Saul says he's definitely the one in the front row. Okay, so he's, uh, he's, he's, he's owned it. But jokes aside, you know, South Africans, we're terrible. We always joke about serious matters. Hey, we use humor to deflect. But this is a very, very serious topic. In 2015 already, South Africa was ahead of the game. And they said one out of every three person was struggling from a mental illness. Okay? But South Africans are robust. We have Jesus. And I think we're doing just fine. But amen. Come on. I think God's made us strong. And... um, 
Andre thinks it's funny. I think he's a bit sadistic that the rest of the world is now going through load shedding. So he says uh, they can all phone us. We can do Zoom, uh, you know, uh, consulting meetings on how to cope. Is it not funny? Not funny. Chris thinks it's funny. But, uh, you know, it's... <laughs> Listen, I love South Africa, so, uh, and, and we, we are, you know, we're robust people. But at the end of the day, all jokes aside, mental health is serious, and we, we do need to discuss it, especially as the church of Jesus Christ, okay? We are, we are called um, to be the hope of the world and to break down the stigma, okay? For a long time, listen, I've grown up in the church. Mental health was taboo. You couldn't have a mental health problem if you were a Christian, and we're going to break down uh, that today and, and, and talk about why it is so not true. Now, for those of you who don't know me, you'll probably have heard my name is Leanne, um, and Andre and I lead the church together, but I am also a medical doctor, and I studied at the University of Cape Town, graduated 2000, and I think it was 2009. I think I lied to the first congregation because we got married in 2008 and I graduated in 2009. So I've been practicing medicine for a few years. And in 2018, it was the first time that I actually was forced to look at mental health as a doctor and as a pastor and tie the two together. Because it's very easy to compartmentalize, right? When I'm at the hospital, I'm thinking like this, and at church, we, we speak in Christianese like that. And in 2018, I really had to, to, I was forced to put the two together and to come up with an opinion. Um, and the reason why was it was quite a hectic year for me personally. Um, and I'm going to explain the story. Some of you would have heard me talk about them before. They had a huge impact on me, and you'll, you'll understand why as I explain. But you guys can put the first picture up. So I mentioned I studied at, at the University of Cape Town, and this is a picture of a gentleman who had a profound impact on me, okay? Um, he was an incredible legend. When I was in medical school, he was first the head of internal medicine, and he then became the head of cardiology, okay? He was a cardiologist, um, such an impressive man. You know, um, as students, we loved him. He was our hero. We looked up to him, not because he was brilliant, but because he was interesting, and most importantly, he was kind. He was so kind to the patients. He was so kind to the students. Okay, we were so used to being verbally abused and bossed around, and he was kind, and he was interesting, and I don't think there was a, a single medical student who didn't want to be like Prof Mayorsi, okay? He was just an absolute legend, and he was married um, to a very beautiful lady. She was as charismatic as he was. Um, she was head of dermatology, also a prof. Um, and they had two beautiful girls that were just finishing university. And um, as I left Kurdiskia, he actually became the dean of medicine for the University of Cape Town, which is obviously a very prestigious position to be given. And he deserved it. He was an absolute, absolute legend. Um, he was also part of a team who discovered the gene mutation. He was the main researcher discovering the gene mutation responsible for, it's a, it's a life-threatening condition called arrhythmogenic right ventricular dysplasia. <laughs> sort of a mouthful, hey? But it was a very incredible discovery. It, it was a massive medical advance. It actually put South Africa back on the map because you guys know we, we were the first um, country to ever do a heart transplant. 
at Hrinsky Hospital. We're very proud of that. He put us back on the map. He was given multiple awards. Um, and he was just really, um, in my eyes, he was living his best life. I mean, he was the picture of success. Um, you couldn't really do any better um, academically, um, financially, um, you know, wonderful marriage, beautiful girls, everything you could dream of having. And so I was completely shattered when I heard in July 2018 that he had committed suicide. And, you know, obviously with him being a cardiologist, he had access to drugs. It was very easy for him. He did it at home. And it then came out that he had been struggling from, with depression and anxiety quite severely, but very quietly for a long time. And um, it really knocked me for a six. It was heartbreaking. Um, yeah, and I was really just grappling with the fact that, that we had lost Prof Mayosi and, and, and the impact he'd had on my life when August rolled around, August 2018, and all of a sudden, my Instagram feed was flooded with this picture. You guys can put up the next picture. And... The caption, uh, this, this didn't hit me quite as close to home because I didn't know this family personally. It's an American family. But the caption was this. Beloved pastor of mega church loses battle with crippling depression, ends own life, leaving behind heartbroken wife and three children. And I carried on reading. There were multiple articles written about this man. He was 30 years old. Uh, one of the articles said, messages of condolences are, and hope are flooding the internet as news spreads of the untimely death of a beloved pastor, Andrew Stocklane, age 30, lead pastor at Inlands Hills Church in Chino, California. He took his own life after suffering a long battle with depression and anxiety. Pastor Andrew preached a sermon on depression mere days before he lost his life to suicide. His wife said he was an amazing husband. She wrote about how he was the most incredible father. And the article also went on again to describe in detail how just over two weeks before he ended his life, he actually stood up in church with his wife and he explained his battle with mental health. And he said, you know, we need to address the stigma in churches. You know, this is what I've been going through. And he, he really was very open and vulnerable about his struggle with depression um, and anxiety. And two and a half weeks later, he had taken his life. And his wife, um, she's actually started a whole, you can go look up on Instagram, she started a whole sort of uh, mental health campaign. Um, it's obviously been four years now, but she was quoted saying this, this was never supposed to happen. We were living our dream life in our dream job at our dream church, just moved into our dream house. Now you can imagine for me, I'm looking at this, <laughs> There's a professor that I love, that I look up to, one of my heroes, and then I hear of a young pastor, uh, and within a month of each other, they've both committed suicide. And if you look at these two stories, they were both very, very successful people, okay, with everything that, that the world says is success. Uh, finances, beautiful families, 
top of their careers. The, the pastor had, was pastoring a mega church. The church was flourishing. You know, they had everything together from the outside, and yet they were suffering from crippling depression and anxiety, which, which ultimately took their lives. And the awful thing about these two stories is that neither one of them was able to get the help that they needed from the medical world or from the church. And that is a problem. Now for me, the biggest problem is that as the church, we are called to be the hope of the world. In fact, we are the hope of the world. The church is the hope of the world. It's not medicine. Okay, it's not, it's not um, the World Health Organization. The church is the hope of the world. And so for me, I'm going, it has to start here. We've got to get it right. We've got to have a better understanding. We've got to get rid of stigma. And we've got to actually be able to help people, especially when we've heard the stats. And I can only imagine how much higher they are now. Church, do you agree that we need to do better? We, yeah, we need to be that lifeboat when people are drowning. And what's really sad for me, but also it's a positive thing, both of these men were obviously Christians, okay? So the one was a pastor, and the other one, um, Prof. Mayorsi, had, from what I was told, had a really close relationship with God, okay? So he wasn't an agnostic man, he was a man of faith. And it just highlighted even more that the church doesn't have a healthy understanding of mental health and how we can deal with it. And so that's really what I wanna do today is touch on it from a biological or medical perspective and also a spiritual perspective. Is that good? Okay. So please, I don't wanna bore you guys with the science behind it, but I think it's important. Firstly, anxiety and depression. The first thing I would wanna tell you from a medical point of view is that, and I think we've all seen this, it can affect anyone. Okay, it doesn't matter how wealthy you are, how poor you are, what racial group you come from, what gender you come from, anyone can be affected by anxiety, depression, or mental illness. Um, you know, the, the World Health Organization have estimated it's gonna kill far more people than HIV AIDS and other infectious diseases, all right? The other thing I want to tell you about stats is we do see it more in women, but it is catching up in men, okay? So it's becoming more and more common in men. I mean, these two stories are about men, and I think that's also part of the problem where men maybe don't talk as easily as women do. Another thing I want to point out is that anxiety and depression does seem to be hitting people at a far younger age than ever before. So... In 2019, they said that 20% of the world's children and adolescents were suffering from mental health disorders. Okay, guys, that is scary that it's starting so young. And we have to stand back and go, well, why is this happening? Why are the rates increasing? Why is it affecting young kids and adolescents? And in my opinion, I don't ever believe that God designed us or created our bodies to live under the pressure that we are living under in 2022. I mean, the pace of life is insane, right? And it's not healthy. I, I think back to when I was a little girl, you know, we didn't even have the internet. I think I was in late primary school when we got our dial-up modem, you know? 
and that massive big box computer. But when I was a kid, there was no such thing as the internet. We had a landline. If you wanted to talk to someone, you sat in the lounge with your family listening while you had a, a call on the landline, you know? And it means that we could switch off. There was no emails beeping 24-7 on your iPhone. There was no social media to compare yourself to. You weren't always on call at work, right? Um, you weren't being cyber-bullied in high school. You weren't, um, you know, being sub uh, subjected to the constant comparisons. It, it, the world was a lot more quiet and a lot more simple. Would you guys agree? And we've got to this place in 2022 where there's never a switch off mode. Even if you're on holiday, you've got your phone, you've got your emails, you've got everything's happening, your bills are coming through, you never get to switch off. And we weren't designed to live at this pace. Now, if we're going to look at depression firstly, if we're going to isolate depression, the definition of it would be a prolonged, decreased mood, okay, for greater than or equal to two weeks, which often manifests with some of the following symptoms. And the reason I'm saying that, this is the DSM-4 criteria. This is what psychologists and psychiatrists use in the medical field internationally. Um, you can't say I've been feeling sad for two days, I'm depressed. No, you're probably reacting to something that happened. Like maybe you broke up with your boyfriend, it's been two days, just give it a bit of time. Are you with me, okay? So it's the two week rule. We say if it's been greater than or equal to two weeks and if it has the following symptoms. So often feelings of sadness, feeling empty, tearfulness, irritability, a lack of purpose, feeling hopeless, worthless, or excessively guilty, losing interest in things that you previously enjoyed. So maybe you love playing tennis, but now every time you get invited to go play tennis, you find an excuse you'd rather have a nap, or maybe you've always enjoyed um, reading books, but all of a sudden you, you've realized you haven't touched a book in three years. Things that brought you joy don't bring you joy anymore. Difficulties in concentrating, changes in sleep patterns. Some people end up sleeping all the time. Some people find they can't sleep. And then also changes in appetite. Some people find they can't stop eating. Other people find they don't want to eat when they're depressed. And then also aches and pains, so physical pain, which has no obvious cause. So maybe you've suddenly got back pain and nobody can find a reason, or shoulder pain. These are symptoms of depression. And of course, in extreme cases, having suicidal thoughts, thinking, I don't think I want to live anymore. Is there a point? Would the world miss me? Anxiety, I wanna say this, anxiety and depression normally always go hand in hand, okay? And it's a bit of a chicken and the egg scenario, what came first? Because if you think about it, if you are living constantly depressed, so you feel um, guilty when you shouldn't feel guilty, you feel hopeless, you feel um, unwanted, that's going to lead to anxiety. And if you're anxious all the time and your heart's pumping and you're sweating and you never get to shut off, you're gonna start to feel Depressed, are you with me? So they often go hand in hand. And when we talk about the pathophysiology, it's very, very linked, okay? We'll get into that more a little bit later. But what are the common symptoms of anxiety? Well, it's a feeling of panic, okay? People will often say, I'm having a panic attack. Um, they will feel fear or an uneasiness. Often they'll have problems sleeping, um, tingling hands, shortness of breath 
heart palpitations, dizziness, a dry mouth, a feeling of impending doom, like something terrible is going to happen at any moment. And if we look at what we call the pathophysiology, that's the cause, we go back to the medical cause, the actual pathway for depression and anxiety is pretty much the same. Who's predisposed? So they've done lots of studies. The first thing I want to say is that there unfortunately is a genetic component, okay? A strong genetic component. So if your father has high cholesterol, it's a very good idea that you get your cholesterol checked. Everyone agrees with that? Okay. Unfortunately, with, with, with depression and anxiety, there's a very strong genetic link. You can say, how do you know, Leanne? They've done studies on identical twins. They have the exact same DNA, and they've shown you can be predisposed to being depressed or anxious. So if you've got an auntie or a parent that's depressed, you need to be alert. Just like if your mother's diabetic, you're going to check your sugar, you've got to go, how am I doing? How am I doing in this area? You can be genetically predisposed. Obviously, external factors play a role too. So you might have identical twins and they've got the exact same DNA and the one has a great marriage and life is going great and the other one goes through a terrible divorce, serious trauma, loses a child and the one who went through all that trauma becomes depressed and the other one doesn't because of the external forces or the, the trauma that they, 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 sorry, that they are exposed to. Are you guys with me? So we've got genetics, we've got traumatic life events, then we've also got underlying medical conditions, okay? You might be feeling really, really depressed and you just have a vitamin B deficiency, or your vitamin D is on the floor, or your thyroid gland is not working properly. Those things can cause depression. And so you need to go to your doctor and say, can you check my bloods out? I'll never forget having a patient who couldn't remember his name, and I thought he was losing the plot. Like, I thought he had dementia. He just had very low vitamin B. Okay? It can happen. So there's medical causes as well. Now, one of the biggest causes that medicine has proven results in anxiety and depression is prolonged stress. Okay? And it almost feels stupid bringing up stress in 2022, because who's not stressed in 2022, right? But stress can lead to anxiety and depression, and I'm gonna to explain to you guys why. When you are stressed, your body has what we call a stress response or a fight or flight response. Anyone heard of that? Fight or flight response? That was initially designed by God for us in the days where if you were walking through the bushes and you saw a lion, you needed to run for your life, right? So the fight or flight response was activated, and rightly so. So your adrenaline would start pumping, blood would rush to your heart, your heart's thumping because you need extra blood to run really fast so you can hopefully escape the lion. So you've got all these things happening. Um, you, obviously, you're not going to sleep. You're hypervigilant because there's a lion chasing you. So your, 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 your fight or flight response is activated. But the thing is, it was designed for that moment where you've got a couple of seconds, maybe minutes, to either escape the lion or die, right? It doesn't stay activated for very long. It was never meant to stay activated for very long. But in 2022... 
We have stresses. We're not chased by lions anymore, but we have stresses like a boss who's bullying us, and that is stimulating our fight or flight response. Our body can't tell the difference between a lion chasing us and a boss that's bullying us. And the same response is activated. But instead of being activated for a couple of seconds or minutes, it's getting activated for days and weeks and months. And that becomes a problem. Are you guys with me? Because when you have your, um, your, your, your cortisol levels up for so long, because stress results in the release of cortisol. This is simple physiology. Okay? Stress results in cortisol being released. When your cortisol is up for so long, your serotonin, your dopamine, and your norepinephrine plummet. You're laughing at me. Those are just neurotransmitters in your brain. You, th you thought I was speaking in tongues for a second. <laughs> it's just neurotransmitters in your brain that make you feel happy and chilled and normal. We all need some serotonin. But when we don't have it, we are depressed and anxious and sad. When your cortisol is up for so long, if you're a normal human being, your serotonin and your dopamine will be on the floor. And it's simple physiology. Are you guys with me? Why am I stressing this? It's a physiological imbalance. Because a lot of people don't get help when they are depressed and anxious because of misinformation and stigma. One of the big things is Christians can't be depressed. How can you be depressed if you have the Holy Spirit? Have you ever heard anyone say that? I mean, so Pastor Craig Rochelle, he's an American pastor. He's actually just released a very good series on mental health. And he talks about how he had a mental breakdown about 18 months ago. And he makes some very good points. You should, if you have time, go and listen to his podcast. But he says this. He says, he doesn't know why Christians have this weird thought in their head. He says, when you become a Christian, you give your life to Jesus, He's never seen anyone just like this, suddenly like an obese person get a six pack. And someone who's in insane debt, suddenly all their debt disappears like that because they got saved. Or suddenly their diabetes is gone. Like, does that happen? And we don't think it's weird. But somehow when you're a Christian, you're not allowed to have a physiological imbalance in your brain. It's a good point, right? The other thing I want you guys to think about, before you say, uh-uh, I need to just pull myself together, it's very South African of us, I will get a grip, I will shake myself right, I've got this, I'm a Christian, I, 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 don't, I don't suffer with depression. You guys need to realize there are many heroes of the faith who suffered with depression. It's in the Bible, it's right there. And the crazy thing is God didn't disqualify them. God didn't write them off and say they were weak. God healed them and brought them through and he used them because he's bigger and he's stronger and he's more powerful. But they weren't in denial. I mean, you look at Elijah. Elijah slays all the prophets of Baal. He calls on fire from heaven. This guy should have had faith that was so unfair like on fire, that was a pun, I didn't intend that for corny, but he should have been full of faith. And then Jezebel, some random woman, threatens his life, and he has a total meltdown, a total meltdown. He gets completely depressed. 1 Kings 19 verse 3, it says, Elijah was afraid and he, afraid and he fled for his life. 
He went to Bathsheba, a town in Judah. He left his servant there. And then he went alone, also often a sign of depression, you want to isolate, into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and he prayed that he might die. The guy was suicidal. He said, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. He was depressed, but God pulled him through. You look at King David all over the Psalms. He talks about when he's depressed. And you know what? God's not scared of our messy feelings. And David always got through. You look at Jeremiah. Jeremiah the prophet, not the bullfrog. (laughs) He cursed the day he was born. He was depressed, guys, but God used him. God healed him. God is always greater and he's always stronger. But they didn't hide their heads under a rock. They acknowledged where they were and what they were going through. So unfortunately, Christians are not immune from depression and anxiety, just like they're not immune from high blood pressure or diabetes. Does God want depression for your life? No. Can he heal you from it? Yes. Does he want to? Yes. Can he click his finger and heal you? Yes, he can. And sometimes he does. But sometimes he takes you through a process. Why? We can ask him in heaven. Craig Rochelle, I will ask him, God, why didn't you just click your finger? You know? Like, but we'll ask him in heaven. Craig Rochelle actually says in his, in, his, in his series, he feels like God took him through that depression so he could have compassion and empathy for other people. Because he said he was always a guy who had it together. He was not the guy to lose it or fall apart. But he feels like he went through that dip so he could actually have compassion. But it's no different to having high blood pressure or diabetes. It's a physiological imbalance. And telling someone with high blood pressure, someone comes to you and says, hey, my blood pressure is 220 over 140. I've got a pounding headache. What should I do? Are you going to go, pull yourself together? Get a grip. Go run a marathon. You wouldn't do that, would you? Because what would happen? They would probably have a heart attack and die. Agreed. So what would you say? You would say, listen here, go to your doctor, please, ASAP. Get some blood pressure medication, I beg of you. And when your blood pressure comes down to a decent level, because we always drop blood pressure very slowly, or you can have a stroke, that's a true fact, Once your blood pressure is at a stable level, you better start doing some exercise. Just start walking at first. Get a little bit fit. Change your diet. Stop eating so much salt. Okay, Um, Eat less fatty food. Lose a bit of weight. Then you can start gymming. And you can maybe start doing a five-kilometer marathon. Once you've lost some weight, your blood pressure will probably come down. And then maybe you can even come off your medication. And then you can train for the marathon and not die. So why are we approaching mental health so differently? You don't tell someone with anxiety or depression to just get over it because they have no faith. You say, go and see a counselor. Go and see a doctor. And if the depression is serious enough, they might need some medication. And you know what? That's okay. There's so much stigma around medication. I want to tell you as a doctor in 2022, Antidepressants have become so clever. All that it's really doing is tricking your brain into making more of its own serotonin. Those crazy words I was throwing around, we need it. So when the cortisol's up, 
We need to trick your brain to make more. It's not addictive. It's not going to numb you. It's, yes, they, they were hardcore 20 years ago, but medicine's grown. It's a gift from God. We don't look at the person on insulin and go, where's your faith? How can you take insulin? Now, not everybody needs medication. Some people just need some therapy, some cognitive behavioral therapy, some counseling. They need to talk through some trauma. Some people just need some friends. They need to get into a view group and get some friends to do life with so they're not lonely. Saul says he'll be your friend. Even though he's a little crazy, I'm joking. We love Saul. But some of you just need some exercise. Actually, jokes aside, exercise is really good for serotonin. So not everybody needs to go and drug themselves up. But if you do need medication, it's okay. Some people get so depressed, you guys need to understand this, that they can't even work properly. They, they can't think. There's a cognitive decline. So now you're telling someone whose brain is so low on serotonin that they can't function. You're telling them to have a quiet time and connect with God. No, they first need their serotonin to come up and then their relationship with God can go deeper and deeper. Are you guys with me? Am I leaving God out of this equation? Not at all. God is still the answer. I want you to hear me today, church. God is always the answer. He is the only answer. I, I want to tell you this. You can be on every antidepressant under the sun and see the best therapist. If you don't have God, you are never going to have true peace and true hope. But, and as corny as it sounds, every single one of us have a God-shaped hole inside of our hearts that only He can fill. So you try and do this without God, you, you're not going to make it. I wouldn't want to face a second of a day without God. I wouldn't get through. He is still the most important factor. But He says, come to me in your brokenness. Come to me honestly and I'll help you. Like we sang Jesus. He's saying, just cry out, Jesus. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, help me. Jesus, I can't do this without you. Jeremiah 33 verse 3 says, Call to me and I will answer you. He knows you. He made you. He loves you. He wants to give you hope and a future. Getting help is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of wisdom. How do we get hope? Sorry, help and hope. Matthew 22, verse 37, it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Now, we find it easy to love God with our hearts and our souls because we're emotional beings, especially the girls. We're all fuzzy and stuff. But how do you love God with your mind? This has really challenged me. Well, we all know, well, we should know that our minds move in the direction of our, of our strongest thoughts. So what are you thinking about? What thoughts are you repeatedly letting run through your brain? This challenges me so much because our brains form new pathways all the time. So whatever you repeat, your brain forms a pathway. So if you are repeating all the time, life sucks, I'm never gonna make it. Life sucks, I'm a failure. I can't do this, I'm all alone, there's no hope. Well, that's the pathway that your brain's gonna form. That's the thought, that's gonna be your default thinking. 
But if you say, no, I'm gonna actually love God with my mind. I'm gonna, my thoughts are gonna be based on what His Word says, on His promises. You're gonna say, no, my God says I am more than a conqueror. My God says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. My God says He's a hope and a future for me. And that's where I'm gonna take my mind. That's the pathway I'm gonna form. That's gonna be my default setting. Isaiah 26 verse 3, it says, You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is fixed on you because he trusts in you. God is promising you perfect peace. Not occasional peace or circumstantial peace, but perfect peace. Even in the chaos, even when times are hard, even when finances are tough, He says, if your eyes are fixed on me, I will give you my perfect peace. It's a promise from heaven. And church, I want you guys to get this. If you look at the original Hebrew, the word fixed, it actually means to rest your full weight on. God's saying, rest the full weight of your mind on me and I'll give you perfect peace. Rest the full weight of your mind on me. I will carry you. You'll get through this. Just claim my promises. Just trust me. When those negative thoughts come, you stop them in your track. This is what my God has said. This is what my God has promised me. He's got me by the right hand. He is faithful. He's more than a conqueror. In Proverbs 4 verse 20, It says, my son, be attentive to my words, incline your ear to my sayings, let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. Keep my words in your heart. They are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Your Bible is healing to your flesh. His word is the ultimate medicine. And then we ultimately, we turn it into praise, don't we? You know, King David He came back from a a war and he saw that the temple had been smashed by their enemies and they had taken their wives and their families. And the Bible actually says that David and his men wept aloud until they had no more strength left to weep. But then David found his strength in the Lord. He went to God's promises. He starts to proclaim, praise the Lord my soul. He starts to say, my God is good. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. Go and read it in the Bible. He starts to say it over and over again. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. Do you know how many times David says that in the Bible, in different places? The Lord is gracious and compassionate. Do you know what he was doing? He was leaning. He was fixing his mind on God's Word. Because do you know who originally said that God is gracious and compassionate? God himself in Exodus, he says, I am gracious and compassionate. And David took it and he hid it in his heart. So in the most terrible circumstances, he could have peace because he knew his God was gracious and compassionate. Church, David knew that our God is unchanging. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he leaned his full weight on God's word and his promises. You need to know today, whatever you are fighting, you might be fighting severe depression or anxiety. You may need to see a counselor. You may need to go on some medication, but more than anything, you need to lean on God's promises. 
You need to go that He is the same God, that He is fighting for you, that He will never leave you. I'm gonna ask you guys just to stand to your feet. I wanna pray for us as a church family. You can lift your hands up to heaven if you feel comfortable. It's just a sign of surrender. You're saying, God, include me. I'm surrendering in this moment. Lord Jesus, we love you. And we thank you that in a, in a crazy, unstable world, you are stable. You are unchanging. You are a steady rock. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Jesus, today we declare we put our hope and our faith and our trust in you, in your word, in your promises. You are our hope. You are the answer. We don't want to do life without you, Jesus. So right now, won't you pour out your strength on us as your church, God? Won't you strengthen us like you strengthened David and Jeremiah and all the heroes of the Bible? Thank you that as you love them, you love us. You will never leave us. I pray, God, that you will help us as a church to finish strong. To finish strong as we lean on your word and your promises. Church, just as we stay in this attitude of worship, if you are here this morning and you are not in a real relationship with Jesus Christ, maybe you were a long time ago, but you know that you've fallen away or you don't know Him personally or intimately, I would be doing you the greatest disservice if I didn't give you a chance to give your life to Jesus because I am telling you, I don't know how people live without Him. I know that giving my life to Jesus was the best decision I ever made and I know that I wouldn't want to face a minute of a day without Him. He loves you. He's called you. You are precious. And if you want to give your life to Him this morning, I'm going to ask you boldly, with every head bowed out of respect, so just I can see, I'm going to ask you boldly to put your hand up when I count to three. One, God so loved the world. Two, that He gave His one and only Son. Three, you can put your hand up if you want to give your life to Jesus. Just so that I can see it. Boldly, you can put your hand up so I see your hand. See that hand, that's awesome. Come on. You see that hand? Is there anyone else? Just stick it up so I can see it. I see that hand, that's awesome. Come on, it's the best decision you could ever make. See those two hands, that's amazing. Come on, just stick it up so I can see it. I see that hand. Come on, you weren't meant to do this life alone. There's a God who loves you. Just stick up your hand so I can see it. Anybody else? I don't want you to miss out. I see that hand, that's awesome. Anybody else? I want to get into a relationship with Jesus. We see that hand at the back. That's awesome. You can, we see those three hands. That's amazing. Okay, can we pray together as a church family? Is that good? Dear Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross and paying the price for my sins. Today, I ask you to be Lord of my life to forgive me of my sins. I want to walk with you. I want to know you. And I want to be with you every day for the rest of my life. I thank you, Jesus, that the Bible says that I'm saved and I'm yours and I'll never be alone in Jesus' name. Come on, let's give God some praise.
Awesome. Come on, let's just honor Leanne. I thought that was a phenomenal message. Can I ask you to take your seats quickly? Just for everyone who's getting baptized, if you can make your way, ladies to the ladies, toilets, gents to the gents, if you can go get ready. And just as they get baptized, what they're doing, of course, they're following Christ's example. Jesus got water baptized. And we learn that it's our next step of obedience after receiving Jesus as our Savior. We're publicly declaring that what's happened on the inside, we're declaring it on the outside. Of course, even as we do it, we're acknowledging Christ publicly. And Scripture says, as we acknowledge Christ publicly, Christ acknowledges us before our Father in heaven. So it is a celebration moment. So we're going to be doing that after the service on the outside. If you do need help and you've listened to this message, I want to ask you to mail us at this email address. Can we put the, uh, the email address up, guys? Health at viewjustice.ca. And just write down if you need help, mail us. We have got counselors and we have got next steps for you if you have been struggling with mental illness. Then we also are doing a new training, a life counseling course from next week, Tuesday at 6.30. If you want to sign up to be trained as a counselor, you really have a heart in this area, please use your next step card in the seat cover in front of you or under the chair. And you can use that card if you want us to pray for you this week. If it's a personal prayer, just write, you have to put your name down, but we'll cover you in prayer this week. Um, then if you need to take a next step, you can use that card or go to our red banner after the service. And lastly, can I ask that we open the side door there? Um, whoever's, if you put your hand up, you gave your life to Jesus, we'd love to pray with you. We've actually got some prayer counselors who can meet you in the room. You can go by yourself or with your family or friend who you came with. If you gave your life to Jesus, you put your hand up. Maybe you didn't put your hand up, but you prayed that prayer and you meant it. Encourage you, get connected, get some help. Let us pray with you. And that's just through there to our counseling room. Tonight, Dr. Robin Gillette will be preaching on the same topic. So if you have friends and family who need help in this area, you can come back tonight and Robin will be preaching into the topic. And then next week we're doing um, identity. These two go together. So the topic will be identity. And yeah, have an awesome Sunday. God bless you guys.